This morning, then, we are um, going to wrap up this little three-week series that we have uh, been in that we're calling Packed and Ready. Um, we have our family meeting, our annual family meeting, most of you know, coming up here on this Saturday, and that's a time where, where we talk a lot about vision and direction and, and, and our mission as uh, the church for this year and, and even beyond, but, but we wanted to lead into that uh, time with just a little bit of a short series uh, by talking about some essential things that, that are uh, important and needed for us in our journey together uh, to fulfill God's mission for us as a church. And so, so, so if you've been with us, then we kicked this off a couple weeks ago uh, by talking about one of the essentials is us being a people of prayer in God's presence, right? Like, like, like we are a people who need God. And we need God to move and we need God to minister and we need God with us. And that, that's essential for us in the journey that God has for us. Last week, uh, Pastor Neil gave a great word uh, on being a people of love. And that love needs to be a mark of us as the people of God as we go about our journey and on our mission. And so this morning I want to share just about one final essential for us to be about our mission. And that is our unity. Our unity. And so with that, if you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me. I want to pray over God's word this morning and over us as we get ready to receive that. And just invite you to pray as well. God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for loving us as we sang this morning, God. It's, it, your love for us is extravagant. God, we can't even begin to comprehend how much you love us. God, how much you have done for us, how much you're even doing right now. But God, I just thank you that, that even as we are here together, gathered in your name and in your presence, that Father, that, that you by your spirit, God, that you are gathered here with us, that God, you desire to speak to us, you desire for us to know you, you desire to change us, God, that we might be more like you. And so God, I just pray that as we open up your word, God, that you would speak, that you would minister, God, that our ears would be attentive to your voice, God, that we would grab hold of with all our heart the things that are of you, the things, God, that you want to say to us, the things that you want to depart in us, the things that you want to grow in us, God, the things that you want to reveal to us, God, that you would speak, God, that we would hear from you this morning. That's why we're here, God. God, we're here for you above all else. So God, would you minister in this place by your word, God, and your spirit. God, I pray for anything, God, that might get in the way of us hearing or receiving your word this morning. God, I pray that that, that that would just be bound up in the name of Jesus. And God, that every set of ears in this room would be loosed, God, to hear from you in every heart, God, open to receive of you today. God, come and have your way. God, come and speak your word and your truth, God. We need you. God, we need you. Lord, you are good all the time. You are faithful. We love you this morning, God, as your people. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right, if you have your Bible this morning, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to just look at the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 4 together this morning. Uh, it should mean behind me otherwise. And this is the Apostle Paul, and he is writing to the church. He's, he's writing to us. And here's what he says. He says, starting in verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life 
worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, if you're not too familiar with the book of Ephesians, uh, it's six chapters long, and essentially it's divided into two parts with the first three chapters essentially setting the table for the last three. Okay, and, and if you were to read through the book of Ephesians, what you'd find is that, that the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about our identity in Christ. It's all about who you are and what you have received through Jesus. Okay, and so, so that's where in, a, in chapter 1, verse 3, it actually says to us that, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, now, I don't even think we can comprehend how big that actually is, but, but, but essentially he's saying, look, like right now, for you who are in Christ, not tomorrow, not some other day down the road or in the future, that right now, as you sit here, that, that you have every spiritual blessing poured out in your life via the blood of Jesus. And, and, and so what he's saying, look, you have all the grace that you need. You have all the love. You have all the acceptance. You have all the gifting, the righteousness, the power that you need for your whole life. It's all been poured out to you through Christ. And so this first three chapters just is like, look, here's who you are, church. Know who you are, church. Here's what you've been given, church. Know what you have, church. And then starting in verse 4 and through the rest of the book, Paul turns our attention to talking about how then we take what God has given to us and live that out. And so this is where he goes and he says, listen, now that you have all this, church, now that you've been saved, now that you've been redeemed now that you, every spiritual blessing is yours. Here's how you live that out. Here's so the first three chapters you can say, Look, first three chapters, this is your position in Jesus. Last three chapters of Ephesians, here's this is your practice, your walk in Jesus. And the first thing that Paul says to the church as he makes this turn, as, as he's turning our attention to how we live it out, it, it, here in verse one, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul says, church, I, I desperately want for you to get this, that, that I desperately want for your life to be a reflection of the great call of God upon you. And, and now, when, when Paul's talking here about, about the calling you've received, he's not talking about your individual calling, okay? This isn't about like your personal gifting or calling. This is about the call of salvation that, that all of us who are Christians have received from God. This is the gospel call that has brought us from death unto life. We sang about it, this amazing, outlandish love and grace of God poured out to us in Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about what he has done for us. We don't save ourselves. We don't earn it. We're not good enough for it, right? This is what Paul says back in Ephesians 2 uh, when he's telling us about our faith and our salvation. And, and he says, listen, it's by grace grace that you have been saved by grace you have been saved through faith and then what does he say this not of yourselves it's a gift from god so that not one of you that nobody can boast 
He's like, look, but when it comes to, 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 to salvation, when it comes to the calling upon you, that this gift in it, right? Like, like you are the saved ones of God, church. That, and Jesus did it. You didn't do it. You didn't make that happen. God did that. And, and that's our calling. The saved ones of God, saved from death and sin, saved from its rule and reign in our lives, saved from wrath, saved from, saved from an eternity in hell apart from God, saved to a full life in Christ with every spiritual blessing poured out in our life, saved because God saved us. When it comes to so much of what we can get into as the church and in our faith, Paul's saying, look, what matters the most, the, the thing that's above all the things, right, is that you've been saved by the love and grace of Jesus. Anybody, anybody really thankful for salvation this morning? Isn't that like the best news in the world? And, and that good news, that reality is meant to transform and change every other part of us. And so Paul says it like this. He, he says that, well, because that you've received this calling of salvation, now live a life that's worthy of it. And, and when Paul's talking about worthy here, he's not talking about being good enough to earn it. Okay, that, that, that's not what he's getting into here. He, he's talking about living out a response to what you have already received. This, this Greek word here for the word worthy is this word axios, okay? And it refers to the intrinsic value of something. It's, it's a bit of a measuring term, okay? The, the, the best picture here and one that the reader and hearer of that day would have understood would have been this idea of a scale, you guys know the scale? I think I have a picture of a scale. But, 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 but like an old school scale, like that. Not like the scale like you get on to see how much you weigh, right? Um, but, but like an old school scale. And, and what they would do is they would measure the value or the worth of something by, by adding to or putting on, on equal sides so that so they could say, well, this, there's too much of this or there's not enough of this, but, but, but that they are equal. And so what Paul's saying, he says, live a life worthy of your calling. He's saying, be sure that the amount of Jesus that's been deposited in you is reflected in the amount of Jesus that's lived from you. So, so Paul's like, look, it's, it's not enough, church, to say, hey, I, I'm a Christian. Man, I got all this good salvation of God. And then for the expression of your life, to, to not compare in any way to that deposit that's been made in you. I, he says, I don't want there to be an abundance in Jesus, of Jesus in you and not an abundance of Jesus from you. That the true work of Christ in us should be evident in the work of Christ from us. And what I want to turn our attention to here is notice the first place that Paul is speaking to, what he's getting at, who he's talking about when it comes to living this life worthy of our calling. He's talking about us. And, and so Paul's saying, look, the first place, because you've been saved, because you've been redeemed, because of the blood of Jesus, church, like, like I want to talk about you, you all. I want to talk about, I'm not just going to talk about you or you or you. I want to talk about you together. How, how many of you know this morning that Jesus loves his church? You know that? Like, like Jesus really loves his church. In fact, Jesus calls his church his bride. I love that. 
I, I think about that and I go, man, of all the, the, the titles, of all the terms that God could have used to describe his people, to talk about this, to talk about us, I don't think that God could have picked one that, that, that conveys more love or more grace or more devotion, right? That, that conveys more of his heart and affection for us than, than calling us his bride. Jesus loves his church. In fact, the scripture tells us that he gave his life for his church. That's how much it matters to him. That's how much it means to him. And when I hear that, the thing that resonates to me is, does it matter like that to me? It, does, it, does it matter to me like it matters to Jesus? Is it important to me like it's important to him? Do I have a heart for his church that reflects his heart? I'd say, man, God, forgive us for not loving what you love and contending for what you care about. The church is a big deal to Jesus. And what we find here in this passage from Paul is that what God wants for us as his bride, living our life worthy of the calling of God, is a unity of his spirit. Verse, verse 3, he says this. He says, listen, make every effort to keep the unity of of the Spirit, through the bond of peace. This is about our oneness as the people of God. Paul says this unity, this oneness is, is so important that it's worth making every effort to have. Unity requires great effort because unity is so easy to lose. Because it's so hard to hold. And so, so Paul's like, look, like he's aware of this reality, right? The, the, because the, the reason unity is so hard to hold is because of the one issue every church has to deal with, and that's people. Right? Like, let, let's be honest, right? I mean, show of hands in this room how many perfect folks we got here today. Right? You're perfect. You get it right all the time. Do, anybody? Nobody in the room? Not one? Not even a, one of the kids? Man, my, one of my kids would be like, I think so. You know? Like... But, but, but we, we're aware of this. We, we, we know this. Not one of us are, are, are perfect, right? We know that we say it wrong and get it wrong and do it wrong sometimes, right? It's, it, but it's not just that. It's the fact that we're also different. It's not just that we're not perfect, but we're also different, right? In, in the church right now, we have all kinds of different people. We, we have people who have PhDs and some people who haven't finished school yet. That's okay. We have people in the church right now who grew up in cities, who grew up in suburbs, who, who grew up in the country. Uh, we have people who are from other countries. That's all right. Get, get this. We have people in, uh, in this room who probably vote Democrat and people who vote Republican. I know. Even weirder, there's some Green Party people, right? Some libertarian folks, right? Like, you get it all, right? It's just a smorgasbord, right? But here's the crazy thing. That might all be true, and they all love Jesus. Right? Crazy. We have different likes, different tastes, different preferences. We come from different places with different backgrounds, different families of origin, different upbringings and experiences and opportunities. And, and so the real question then is like, I mean, like, of course, this unity thing is complex, right? There's, it seems like there's more against us in being united than there is for us. So how then do we walk in the unity that God 
has for us, intends for us. I've talked about this before, but this is one of my favorite analogies. Is Raise your hand in this room uh, if you are a fan of Portillo's chocolate cake. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying, so just lift it up anyways. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is true, and you can ask my wife. I don't really like chocolate that much. Some, don't stone me, okay? But, like, like, I'm just not a big sweets person. It's not something that I don't really get, especially cake. It's, like, way too much, you know? But even I'll eat some Portillo's chocolate cake. Okay, it's like probably the only chocolate cake I'll get into, right? And the secret ingredient to Portillo's chocolate cake is mayonnaise, right? It is. I don't know if you know that, but, but, but it's mayonnaise. And, and, and the only issue is that mayonnaise has its own problem. And the problem with mayonnaise is that it takes oil and water to make mayonnaise. And I'm not sure if you know this, but oil and water don't go well together. They don't essentially mix, and so what's needed to make ingredients that don't mix, mix is something called an emulsifier. An emulsifier brings ingredients that don't come together, and it makes them able to come together, and the emulsifier in mayonnaise is egg, right? So, so when you get egg into the mix, that, that egg binds these things that should not and don't normally come together together. It makes them come together into this incredible thing called mayonnaise that makes this better thing called chocolate cake. Right? Right? And essentially what Paul's saying is like, listen, when it comes to us as the people of God who are so different, who have so many reasons not to be together, the emulsifier for the, for the people of God is the Spirit of God. The, the, the Holy Spirit is to be our egg, right, in our mayonnaise. That, that's what he's saying. And so Paul says, listen, he says, keep the unity of the Spirit. It's a unity of the Spirit. It's only possible, he's saying, when God's people are walking to and listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit, which really invites us back to where we started this whole series, into prayer in the presence of God. I think it's no surprise many of us have heard this before. This has been talked about in churches forever, uh, um, but... And this cute little slogan, right? The family that prays together stays together. People are like, ha, ha, ha. It's true, though, in some ways, right? And, and like, we know it. I talk to pastors all the time. Like, I, almost every single church I know has a prayer gathering, and almost every church that I know people don't show up to it. And, and so it's this funny kind of dynamic, not funny ha-ha, but more like funny sad, right, kind of reality is that when it comes to really the church at large, I'll talk to people all day who will talk about unity and why it matters, but we won't pray together and then wonder why we won't be united together. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but, but it, it's, it's really hard to hold things against the person you're praying for and with. You ever notice that? You ever been like praying with somebody? Like, it's hard to get in the presence of God and hate on the person across from you. You know what I mean? So, so, so like prayer has this profound, like that we invite the spirit of God to enter into the space and suddenly now I'm not just with you, but I'm for you. And I'm for what God has for you. And I want God's best for you. And I want to see God's work happen in your life. I'm not talking about the prayer where we pray stuff we want to say to that person, but we don't. You know what I'm saying? God, just help them because, you know, they're such a wretch and they, they, you know, like if they were just more like me, God, they'd be so good. Right? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like really like lifting them up before the Lord. Right? 
There's a way by which this happened because, because prayer helps us get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on Jesus. And when we're not tuned into the Spirit of God, we operate by what the Bible calls our flesh, right? And what Scripture has to say to us is that, that, that the conflicts that we have, not just within ourselves, but amongst ourselves, are more a conflict between our spirit and our flesh than they are with anyone else. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. He says, let me move this mic. I feel like I'm too far right. I feel like I'm puffing at you guys. Better? He says this. He says, I, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. The reason we have disunity amongst us is not simply because we are not perfect and not simply because we are different, but because we are not walking by the Spirit of God. We are not submitting ourselves to the emulsifying work of the Holy Spirit in our life and through our life. And the outcome of that then is chaos and conflict rather than unity. Now, now, here's the real kicker with that is that so often for us, it's super easy for us to believe that the real problem is the person in front of us when most often the problem's in ourselves. And, and most of the time, if we would begin with us, we'd get a lot further than we tend to do. James 4.1 says it like this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He's talking about out here. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Hmm. But like James, like you, you, you all think it's out here somewhere, but, but, but it's in here somewhere. The, the, the real issue is not the war you're having out here. It's the one you're having in here. And you're battling in here. You end up battling out here. The, the war within you creates the war around you. And so you have marital wars between spouses and, and family wars where I'm still mad at my parent or sibling or, or my kid or whatever for however many years ago that, that because I won't come to the table and I won't, address, I won't deal with that. I won't go to that. So, so it's been years since I've talked to that person, right? Because clearly it's them, right? I mean, it's all, it's all of them. It's all, they, do you know what they said? Do you know what they did? Do you know how, right? It's all that side of the table. Right, so do we have wars? In fact, we we have wars uh, with within the church, wars with brothers and sisters in Christ. Where, where instead of us reflecting the grace of God to one another, instead of us like going to each other saying, "Hey, I got to share this with you. I need to talk to you about this. I need to bring this to you. It's something on my heart. Something I'm dealing with. Something I'm wrestling through. Something that I'm struggling with." We'll do everything else but that. So, so I'll either just hold on to that and that'll just stir up a whole bunch of mess within me that makes me think a whole bunch of stuff about you, right? And so I have this attitude towards you, this emotion story, all this kind of stuff. Or, or if it's not that, right, that, then, I'll, then I'm still not going to bring it to you. Let me go talk to somebody else about you and then that creates a problem. Or it's still not that. Let me just be sort of passive aggressive when it comes to you. And so I'll, I'll sort of not make sure I'm not where you are. I won't look at you. I won't come by where you are. If you're sitting over there, I'm going to sit over there. Whatever that kind of thing is, right? And, and because, that, because we're not actually dealing and walking by the Spirit. That's why we have racial wars. It's why we have gender wars. It's why we have culture wars. It's why we see war and conflict all over the place. Why? Because 
we are being led by our flesh and not by the Spirit of God. And as long as we are not submitting ourselves to the Spirit in His way, it's impossible for us to hold and keep the unity God has given to us. Again, the Holy Spirit is always reflecting God's way of thinking on a matter. The, the Holy Spirit is always saying what God is saying. Right? The, the Holy Spirit is only saying what Jesus says. Right. So for us to do something by the Spirit, it means that we are getting God's perspective on it. We're getting God's thought. We're getting His view of that thing. And then we're doing that thing. What we often tend to do is that we try to bring part, a part of God's view, generally the part that we really like, and then we mix that with other stuff, how we feel about it, all other kinds of stuff. We mix flesh and spirit, and flesh and spirit don't go. They're in conflict, as Galatians tells us. So for us to walk by the Spirit, we have to agree with God's Spirit. It means we have to choose his way above our own. It means that Jesus is our standard, okay? Which ultimately is to say that I treat you the way Jesus treats me. We need God's spirit to lead us into the fullness, not just of what God has for us personally, but for what God has us collectively. And so Paul says to the church, listen, church, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. And he says, through the bond of peace. Another translation for that word peace there would be uh, translated as belt, okay? Eh, eh, not, peace, not, not peace, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 the word bond there, that, that, that he said through the bond of peace. It's, he's really saying through the belt of peace. Like, like, like it's meant to help hold up, okay? It holds us up. Peace is holding us up. And here's the recipe, okay, for this thriving amongst us in the Spirit to be united. Look at verse 2. Back to verse 2. Here's how these ingredients are meant to fit together. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What's our ingredients for keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Four things. First one he says is, listen, be humble. I mean, he actually says, be completely humble. Anybody ever met a totally humble person? I, I haven't, but I mean, I, I, I'd love to, right? Like, like, I've never met a completely humble person. I, I've met some real humble people. And, 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 and what Paul's saying is like, listen, humility is meant to be a mark of the children of God. This is why we hear Paul say in Philippians chapter 2, he says this to us. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit. Oh, my my still popping? Fix me, Rye. Is that better? Is that, is that good? Is that better, everybody? Am I popping more? Popping a lot? Okay. Okay, Philippians, right? So, so Paul's talking about humility, and this is something he writes about a lot. And, and in Philippians chapter 2, Verses 3 through 7, he says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The opposite of humility is pride. And pride is self-oriented and not other-oriented. 
and, and, and here in Philippians 2 verse, uh, the, in the beginning here, it sort of sums it up by calling pride selfish ambition and vain conceit. Selfish ambition is the idea that it's all about me, okay? It's all about what I want. It's about my goal. It's about my, my way. It's, about, it's, it's all about me, okay? Like, like this is about me and mine. Vain conceit is all, is all about, I'm, I'm always right, and so you better, do, you better just follow this, right? You better just do this my way all the time, right? I'm better than you. It's not just sort of like it's my way. It's like I'm better. And the outcome of that is there's this competitiveness where I need to tear you down in order to elevate myself. I think probably most of us, if we're honest, like, I, I see this all the time. It's actually one of the reasons why I, I, I tend to, to really pull back from social media because it seems to be such a platform for this to happen. It, it, there, there, there tends to be this real like moral posturing and, and self-righteousness that promotes the self and says, man, look at me and how good I am. L- look, at, look at me. And, and, anybody, and, if you, and anybody who's not like me, anybody who's not doing what I'm doing, who, everybody who's not thinking the way that I'm thinking right now, anybody who's not on this page, not, not on this blog, not on whatever, right? Like that's beneath me. They're, they're lesser, they're worse, they're whatever, right? And, and so like, like fill in the blank with whatever, right? Some sort of judgment about their character, motives, heart, intention, right? All that kind of stuff. It's just this way of acting. It's, it's a way of seeing that, that what happens without us being aware of it is we actually have this filter on our heart and over our eyes that causes us to see everybody through that same lens then who's not on that page of us. And so I approach that person always with judgment or cynicism or skepticism, right? It's not that I'll simply disagree with you and love you. It's that I have to attack you. I have to attack you in my mind, with my actions, with my words about who you are, about your heart, your motives, right? Because the only way I can be elevated is to take you down. That's selfish ambition and vain conceit. Paul says the way to keep the unity of the spirit and his peace is not through pride. It's through Christ-like humility that honors. Man, honor is such a good word for the church. Honor serves, that blesses, that cares for, that's gracious with and merciful because that's how Jesus lived in love. Honor is this way of the kingdom, right? It says, like, we don't honor people because we are convinced that that person is honorable. Right? Somebody, I forget who said this. But, but we honor people because we are honorable. We honor people because it's in us to honor. Not to, because we make some judgment about them. Here's the second thing he says. Not only are we to be humble, but, but gentle. That word gentle here, it doesn't mean weak. I, I always think a lot of times when you hear gentle, it's like, oh, they're so soft, right? Like, but, but a lot of times when you say that, we just mean they're, they're weak. They're a weak kind of person. That, that, that's not the word gentle here. This word gentle here means controlled strength. It, it, it means like your emotions under control. We, we live, if you haven't noticed, in a pretty outraged culture, okay? Like, like everything's a big deal and something to argue, fight, and get worked up about. Everything. Doesn't matter what it is, right? And, and what happens is we have this tendency to let our emotions just run rampant and crazy and take us and lead us all over the place. And so Paul's saying, listen, we need to check our emotions. We need to check ourselves in that. We need to have control in that. 
and not lose our heads and lose our way. This isn't about being wishy-washy. This isn't about being indecisive or unassertive. This simply means that we refuse to use uh, or to, to unleash the power of our tongue, right? To hurt or to wound out of vengeance or hurt or our own woundedness or for control. We're not harsh. We're not rude. We're not attacking. We're not cutting. We're not condemning. We're not manipulative with our words. Rather, we choose to be gentle towards one another like God is gentle towards us. Aren't you glad that God is gentle towards you? Man, I'm, I'm so glad, right? Uh, like, like, God's not gentle. I know this. God's not gentle with me because I'm always deserving of that gentleness. I'm not. And it's not because, like, man, I'm just so good. Of course he treats me like that, right? Like, man, I just, I'm so good. No, no, God's gentle with me in spite of me, not because of me, because of his love for me, not because I'm always loving towards him. And that's how Paul says that we're to be towards one another, like Jesus is towards us, towards one another. Like, like I, I should be gentle towards you. You gentle, because that's how Jesus is towards me, not because of how you were towards That requires the thing Paul says next, the third thing, which is patience, right? He says, look, be patient. How, how many of you in this room like waiting? Is anybody like, man, I just love it? Nobody, right? Like, like, I, I don't either, right? It's super frustrating. It, it, it's annoying, right? It's actually one of my great pet. One of the reasons I don't go to movies when they open is I hate waiting in that line. Like, I don't care how good it is. If they were like, this is the best movie in the history of the world, and anybody who shows up this day could see it for free or whatever, I'm still waiting until it's like a Monday and nobody's in that line. Because I hate waiting, right? Like, I've never stood in a line at a concert, at a movie, at a game, at whatever, sat in that line and just thought, this is awesome, Right? Like, this is so good. Uh, you've never shown up to that deli counter or whatever at the, mall, at, the, at the grocery store, right? Now serving, and you pick like number 87. It says now serving four, right? And you're like, this is great. You know what I'm saying? This is, thank you, God. This is what I want to be doing right now. No, no, we don't like to wait, and we don't like to be patient. Things can't happen fast enough for us. We always want to go faster and hurry. And, and, and so... So what ends up happening, because that's how we feel and that's how we are, is that we tend to put that on the people around us too. Can't you just hurry up already? Can't you just be better? Paul says, listen, be patient with one another. That's a long-suffering idea. And, and the idea here is that the old you, the flesh you, is demanding and impatient, but the new you, the spiritual you, the one that's like Jesus, is patient. And in Philippians chapter 1, 6, Paul says this. He says, I'm convinced of this. I'm confident of it, that he, being God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, what God has started in me, God is going to finish with me and in me, and God's going to see it through in me because God is patient with me. Man, that's good. Thank you, God, for being patient with me. God doesn't give up on us. Right? He's, God's like hanging in there with us. I, I don't know about you, but like, have you ever been, I, I've felt this before, like, man, God, I don't know why you put up with me. You ever felt like that before? Like, I'd, like how are you still dealing with me? I, like, man, I'm just being honest. I've had that before. I'm like, man, Lord, you, move on. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, but God's so patient with us. 
God loves us so well, right? And so Paul says, man, be like that with one another. Be patient. Don't be quick to judge. Don't, don't be quick to believe the worst. Don't be quick to comment and, and respond before you have the information, right? Just like Jesus' brother James wrote in James 1.19. He says, look, every one of you should be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. You could say, be patient to speak and be patient to get angry, right? Be slow in that. And we know that's not an easy thing to do because the thing Paul sums that up with in the end there, the fourth thing, is he says, bear with one another. That's, not, that's usually not like a good term. Like, like if I say to my kid, man, I'm just bearing with you today. That, that generally doesn't mean like we're having an awesome time. You know what I mean? Like, or whoever it is. It generally means like, wow, you're kind of frustrating me. It's, you're kind of difficult. This is kind of tough. But man, I'm hanging in there with you though. I'm I'm bearing with you. Paul's kind of saying the same thing. He's like, listen, church, if you didn't figure it out yet, if you didn't realize because you're people and all this stuff, it's going to be hard. It's going to be messy, right? There's going to be challenges and hardships and trials and struggles. There are going to be times and and people that annoy you particular ways, frustrate you, all kinds of stuff. And he's like, listen, but don't just give up on that. Be patient, right? And he says, not just be patient, but be patient in love. Which means that I'm meant to love you even when it's hard to do. That, that, that I'm meant to still serve you and pray for you and encourage you and support you and, and bless you even when that's hard to do. Because loving you like Jesus loves me is what God has asked me to do. And it's what he's made me to do. And it's what he's empowered me to do. That's the commitment. The commitment really for, for the people of God has to be in the house of God. That our standard is we treat one another like Jesus treats us. And, and this isn't to say, right, like we're not going to get that perfectly. Right? We're not going to get that right all the time. But what's, what we can trust though and hold on to is that the same grace that saved us will be the same grace that sustains us. even when we don't get it right. And and so then for the church, this is our call to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, making every effort, living a life worthy of our calling in Jesus because it's essential for our life together and in fulfilling uh, our mission together. And and how do we know it's essential? Well, we know it's essential because Jesus prayed for it to be so, right? Like we've shared this many times, right? John 17, Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is praying for us. And Jesus says, Father, let them be one talking about us just as we are one. He says that they may be brought together to complete unity so that the world will know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Think about that for a second. Of all the things Jesus could be praying for before he goes to the cross, of all the things he could want for us even, I just think like there would be so many things going on. Like there's so much he could have said, but, but Jesus isn't here saying, God, protect them. God, provide for them. God, give them power. He's saying, Father, make them one. That, that's my prayer, God. He's asking for our oneness. And notice what he says. He's asking for it because he knows that it is our unity that will cause the world to know that God sent and loved the Son 
and that God, because of that, God loves them too. Isn't that amazing? That, that's like almost too much for me to even get my head around how that could be true. That, that, but, but it is that God wants to save the whole world, and that's why Jesus came. And, and he, God's decided we didn't make it up. We didn't write that. We didn't say that God should do it that way. God, that his strategy would be, one of his strategies would be that through his church and our unity, our love for one another, right, that that would be a mark, a way by which the world would see Jesus and know the love of God. And because it is a strategy of God, then we also need to know that the enemy against us, the enemy beset against God, is going to be effortlessly and tirelessly at work to make that not happen. The enemy is going to do everything that he possibly can to separate and divide and destroy our unity in Christ. Why? Not, not because it's just about like you and me and whatever, but because this is about the gospel. And the enemy is so beset against God that the last thing the enemy wants is that other people would come into the saving knowledge, the saving grace of Jesus. And God's like, look, this is one of the ways I'm going to make that happen. The enemy's going, nah, I'm not going to let that happen. And I'm going to throw everything I can against that in order to keep that gospel call from going forth. It's imperative then for us as the people of God, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit so that the world will know and see Jesus and the love of the Father. You know, then that decision is really ours to make, right? So it's like we need God, but, but like we get to decide to partner with Him in that or not. Like God's not making us. He's not saying you will. He's saying, look, I'm inviting you into this. I'm inviting you into sharing in this. He's even said, he didn't say, I'm going to make you keep. He said, you keep this unity of the Spirit by walking in such a way. And so my, my prayer for us, family, my, my prayer for us, church, is that we would do just that, that we'd make every effort for that unity, that we wouldn't let things get in the way of it, that we'd lay down and surrender things that have or, or that are, or that anything else that we would walk in the way that God has for us and living the life worthy of the calling that he has on us. And so this means, I think, in many ways, getting our eyes off of us and getting our eyes on Jesus, who scripture says is the head of the church, who is the reason for why we're together anyways, right? Who's the one, is the one who it is all ultimately about. And that because Jesus is ultimately the tie that binds us. It's not, our, it's not our similarities, it's not our preferences, it's, not, it's Christ that binds us. And that's my prayer for us, that Jesus would be the tie that binds us. That we would lean into him, that, that ultimately at the end of the day, we say this in our membership, that, that our identity would be in him, right? that our worship would be for him, that our fellowship would be through him, and that our interaction with the world and the culture would be to the praise and glory of his name. I'm going to have Noel and the team come back up and we're going to close this morning. And, and we're, we're going to close this morning with what I think is 
sort of a fitting place for us to go together, and that's it with a time of communion. Um, communion is one of those things that, that Jesus gave to us as his people to remind us that, first of all, it's all about him. But second of all, that we are united together in and because of him. And so communion is, is meant to be a reminder to the people of God, not just of what Jesus has done for, for me, but what Jesus has done for us, and we share in the life of Christ together. 